message. Here we go, Song of Solomon. We are finishing up Song of Solomon today. Isn't that crazy? Um, I love this book. I love, I love watching this couple, and we've got to see them through all the stages of the relationship. And I want to tell you about a moment that we had in our house. This was years ago. And you might think, because the way it starts off, it sounds like a great Song of Solomon thing. It wasn't. My, my wife greeted me at the door one day when I walked in from home. I mean, walked in from work. I came home, and she's standing there. And I know you think, oh, this is going to be sweet. No, she looked at me, and she said, I don't know what I've done to my computer, but I think it's really bad. Right? That started the next 24 hours of uh, installing operating systems, at least reinstalling operating systems, trying to back it up, finally taking it to City Mac and having them look at it and spend hours looking at it to try and figure out what happened. Ultimately, we did this very complicated reset. This was before the cloud, before you could store everything somewhere, wherever the cloud is, um, and, and you had to back up. And, and Max had this thing called Time Machine. And so you'd back it up, and it would literally store everything in your computer based on the date that you backed it up. And so Stacy had done that three weeks before it completely crashed. And so they were able to restart her computer exactly the way it was three weeks before this happened, which means she lost all of her work in between that three weeks, but literally it was as if Three weeks ago, three weeks never happened for her computer. It was exactly the same. Emails were unread. I mean, it was this, this perfect picture of where her computer was three weeks before. Here's why I share all this. And here's why I go over this before we jump into our verses today with Song of Solomon. I, I've already preached this once. I preached it this morning. I preached this whole series six years ago. This sermon in particular does something. This sermon hits people hard. Um, if not this one, then the last one. And, and here's why I share that story about Stacy's computer. Because what you could walk away from, from last week's message and even this week's message, is that you don't measure up. You're not the type husband that we see in the scriptures. You're not the type wife that we see here in these scriptures. And like I said, if not from today's message, maybe another one. And so what I want to do is I want to set the tone right now as to what we're going to experience when we walk through this. The expectation that I have as I go through this, the expectation that I have for you as we go through this, is we won't measure up. That's the expectation. None of our relationships are perfect. None of our marriages are perfect. And we won't be perfect in love. And I want you to hear, church, this is by God's design. Right? This poem that we've been going through, this song, called Song of Solomon, it's not just designed to show you how to be a good spouse or a good boyfriend or girlfriend or even how to be a good friend. It's designed by God to show you that, that you can't be this type person. It is designed by God to expose your heart and to expose the need that you have for empowerment and for gifting and for enablement that is beyond you. As a matter of fact, this is what Song of Solomon is designed to do. Song of Solomon is designed to draw you to Jesus. So if you thought we were going through Song of Solomon so that your spouse would be better, right? Because that's, the, that's, the, that's the, 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 the heart of it, right? That's not why we're going through Song of Solomon. We're going through Song of Solomon because I want you to see how much you need Jesus in any relationship. 
and you need his transforming gospel. And so if this is true, that, that this book in particular, the Bible, is designed to draw us to Jesus, here's what it means. It means we are all going to need a reset. In some area of your life, you are going to need a reset, much like we did on Stacy's computer. And so as we work through these passages today, let's agree on this. Let's let the gospel of Jesus be the reset that we all need, right? His sacrifice, his resurrection, his way to have a relationship with God, let's let that be the reset that we need. Are we good? Okay, three, four, five of you, yes. How about the rest of you? Are you with me? All right, all right. So go ahead and open your Bible, Song of Solomon, chapter 8. We're going to go verses 5 to the end of the book. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. It's on page 458 of that Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please take that one with you as our gift to you. We want you to, to have a Bible. Um, all right, so I'm going to date myself a little bit. Do you all remember, I don't even remember if it had a name. There was a comic strip where it, it, it showed this couple this young, like, cartoony couple, and it said, love is, and then it always said something after it, like, like, like it would say, like, love is taking dance lessons because you know she loves to dance. And then the next day in the comic book, it would say, love is knowing that he's taking dance lessons but not letting on because you want him to be able to surprise you, stuff like that. So it's all these cute little things about what love is. Well, I couldn't help but think about those comics as I read and studied this passage for this week. Because here's what we're going to see. We're going to see love is, and then our couple is going to teach us about love as they're signing off in this book. You see, we have watched this couple move from, from, from being attracted to one another in the very beginning of Song of Solomon... Where they, where, they, where they fell in love and, and what they were attracted to with each other, though, wasn't his power. He was the king of a powerful nation. It wasn't her beauty, although she is incredibly beautiful. What attracted them to one each other was, was their character and their identity and who God was forming them to be. Then we saw them date, and we saw as they dated that, that words have what? Do you remember? Words have power. And we saw him speak to her with words of affirmation and encouragement and courage. Then we saw them marry and go on their honeymoon. And in this very passionate part of the book, we saw that relationships require work and that work is based on the work of Christ in us. We, we saw that the gospel that we've received is what allows us to give grace to our spouse. The gospel we've received allows us to give grace to those around us. And then do you remember what we saw them do right after the honeymoon? What happened? They got into a what? A fight, right? And we saw that when you fight and when you conflict, it's not a reason to separate. That conflict is a reason to connect because it's in that connection that there's life change. And if both people are, are open-hearted to that connection, a lot is possible. And then last week, we saw them get older. If you remember, I, I stalked that old couple downtown and had that picture, you know, for us to, to have in our minds. And, and we saw as this couple got older, we saw that lasting relationships are growing relationships. Well, here's, here's what we're going to see this week, that this couple has moved from, from a couple that we're watching to now they are giving advice. Now they are mentors. 
It is this picture of a couple that has weathered the storm in their marriage, and they want to help you have a better marriage. And so let's look, let's dive in and see what our mentors have to teach us. Verse 5, chapter 8, verse 5 says this. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Now, if you remember, Son of Solomon, this is a song, right? And, and so it's poetry. And because it's a song, as you've read through it, if you look in your Bible, there'll be these subheadings about, about that it's him or that it's her or that it's the, the, the chorus singing, the, the, you know, the choir singing. Well, this one, it, 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 it gives it a hint that it's someone singing because they see the couple. Who is that coming? But it's not the, it's not the chorus, and it's believed that when this was read out loud, when this song was sung, this is the part where the congregation sings. So it's not just the, 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 the hymn or her, it's not the choir, it is the, 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 the people sing this part of the song because, because we're invested in with this couple now. And, and, and what do we see as we see them coming? We see them coming from the wilderness to the promised land, but we see them coming and we see her leaning on him. And that could be because of their age, but it could also be that, that, that what we're seeing here is this first aspect of love, that love is interdependent, right? That love is, is interdependent, because here's the image. We see this couple coming from a distance, and she is leaning on him, and, 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 and they are walking together. He's not ahead of her, having her walk behind him. She's not ahead of him. They are they are together. Their weight is leaning on each other. Because that's the deal about leaning, right? Like if just one person leads, the other person falls over. If one person leans in, the other person falls over. To, to lean in properly, you both have to shift your weight and lean in together. And this couple is, is interdependent. They're leaning on each other. It's this picture of, of interdependence and trust and safety and strength and affection. And in many ways, it's this picture of loving leadership and and. and Graceful submission. Because if you remember last week, we saw this couple has grown. We saw that she has grown in her leadership, that he needs her and he trusts her. And here we see that she needs him too. When I was uh, working at a university in Texas, uh, University of North Texas, I was working in the College of Education. I was an administrator there. And there was this woman that I worked with, and she was this young, beautiful, like, fiercely independent woman and who wanted to, to change the world. And I've lost touch with her, but I bet she has changed the world somewhere. And, 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 and as I got to know her, and, and she would talk to me about relationships that she was in and how no guy was ever good enough, the, the, the thought that she had of being a couple like what we see here where, where, where there would be a time where she would lean on a guy was repulsive to her. Like She loved men, but the thought of, of her needing a man in her life was just repulsive to her. And so one day I was, I was talking and I was like, what if though you just haven't met a guy that you actually respect enough yet to lean in on him? What if, and I, and I had this book in my mind, I said, what if you met a guy who was caring? What if you met a guy who was loving and he was strong and yet he was tender and, and he spoke words of affirmation and, and courage to you and, 
And, and what if he was a leader, but he was also a servant? He wasn't a dictator over you, but, but yet he still led you with a servant's heart. What if he was a lover, but yet is still a, a caretaker? What if he was a man who would build you up and, instead of diminish you? I said, what if you were in a relationship like that, with, with that type of guy? How would you respond to him? It shouldn't be spread. Number one, if that guy exists, right? And if I dated him, I would follow a guy like that to the ends of the earth. You see, she hadn't met that guy yet. You want to see the New Testament picture of this? Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 says this. And it has a word in it that gets a bad rap. So we're going to switch it out. But I want to read it the way it is. Here's what it says. And guys, by the way, this is the verse that you can never quote to your wife. All right? Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now that word submit carries a lot of stuff with it, doesn't it? Because we think dictator, we think floor mat. The picture that we have seen in Song of Solomon, this woman that we have seen, she is not a floor mat in this relationship. He is not a dictator over her. That is not a biblical view of submission. The picture that we see of this couple coming from the, from the wilderness into the promised land, that is the biblical picture of submission, that, that she is leaning on him, and he is leading and leaning on her. And so with that, let's like switch out submission for lean and, and see what happens. Wives, Lean on your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church leans on Christ, so also wives should lean on in everything their husbands. You see, this is what interdependence looks like. And biblical love is this interdependent love. She needs him. He needs her. They are leaning in on each other. And to be able to lean, you need a solid leader. And for a woman to rest, she's got to have a safe place to lean. Well, not only are they interdependent, look, look at what else they're dependent on. In the rest of verse 5, it says, Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. And there she bore you who was in labor. So, so why do they go from this picture of them leaning to, to talking about labor, from leaning to labor? To, to labor? It's because what, what this couple is saying is, is from the very beginning, God had a plan for this couple. And from the very beginning, from when her mother gave birth to her, God had a plan in bringing them together, in leading and leaning, in, in submission and in serving leadership. And y'all, here's what you have to understand. This picture that they're painting for us, this picture that our mentors are painting for us, this, this picture of, of leaning in, of leadership and submission, this isn't to make you happy. Right? I, I read a book once called Sacred Marriage, and I'm a little bit dyslexic, and so you have to be careful because sometimes I might have read Scared Marriage instead of Sacred Marriage because those words are shockingly close. But the, the premise of the book was that marriage designed by God isn't intended to make you happy. It's intended to make you holy. 
And you see this picture of this couple coming where, where he's leading and she's leaning, and yet they're leaning on each other as all this is happening. This picture isn't designed to make you happy. What our mentors are saying is that this is designed to make you holy. This is God's formula. It's not just God's formula that she met him. It's God's formula that they were married this way in this interdependent leading and, and, and leaning type relationship. Now, ladies, I'm going to let you in on a secret about men. And men, don't worry, I'm going to let you in on a secret about women too. But ladies, here's the secret about men that we don't really like to say out loud, and it's this. In this leaning and, and, and leading, men don't really like to lead. We like to take care of ourselves. We don't like to take care of somebody else. And when we know that somebody is leaning in on us and when somebody wants us to lead, it actually scares us. Because we have to care for someone else. And, and if you've been married long enough, and this isn't a slam to guys, this is just true, like we can barely take care of ourselves, right? Right? And then to know that somebody else needs us to take care of them and lead them scares us. Now, guys, I'm going to let you in on a secret about women. Just like we don't like to lead, women don't like to lean. Women don't like to submit to the authority that God has over them. Here's why. Because women like to take care of themselves. Just like men like to take care of ourselves. And yet, God has established a pattern in marriage where godly, servant-leading men lead and godly, serving women lean into that leadership. And he has put that pattern in place because, y'all, it teaches both of us how to care for someone else. It allows both of us to become more holy because left to our own devices, we don't want to care for anybody else. We only want to care for ourselves. And yet God's pattern for marriage is different. God's pattern for marriage is designed to make us holy. You see, love is making you more holy. This kind of biblical love makes you more holy. Let's see another lesson from our couple in verse 6. It says, set me as a seal upon your heart and a seal upon your arm. And, 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 and so what she's looking at is their love and, and, and that there's an outward seal on the arm and an inward seal on the heart. And y'all, honestly, the outward seal is a whole lot easier. When I marry couples and I stick the ring on their finger as an outward sign and I talk about the ring and how it doesn't have a beginning or an end and, and all this stuff, I do all this stuff. And what's hilarious is if they had a real salty rehearsal dinner, sometimes you can't get the ring past the knuckle and eventually we, we do that and get it on there, but that is the easiest part of a, of, a, of, a, of a marriage. If marriage was just an outward seal, we would all have perfect marriages. We would all just go get that sucker tattooed on our finger, wouldn't we? And wouldn't have to worry about it. But there's this inward seal on the heart, too. And so their love isn't just an outward display. It is this inward commitment that's harder. And this inward commitment has to be made before the marriage because that inward commitment is going to be, be relied on over and over and over again in the marriage. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was this German theologian. If you don't know his story, Wikipedia him. It's, a, it's an incredible life that he had. One of the things that he said is this. 
is he said, it's not your love that sustains your marriage. It is your marriage that sustains your love. That there is this inward commitment that isn't based on feelings that sustains the love. Now, can I give you a quick application of this? Because I've counseled couples before and they make this simple mistake that, gosh, if we can all agree to this, and for those of you who are single, if you can agree to this before you step into a marriage relationship, it will save you uh, some heartache. Now, it'll give you some, but it'll save you more in the long run. Because I've counseled couples who make this very simple mistake that in the heat of an argument, in the midst of conflict, they threaten to leave. They threaten divorce. Because they say, if this is what marriage is like, I didn't sign up for this and I'm out. When you do that, When you threaten to leave, you're saying that that inward seal is broken. And so the advice is to this, take divorce off the shelf. Let the person you're married to be the person that you're married to. And when you commit to to marriage, you're making a faithful commitment. Because here's what love is. Love is a faithful commitment. Now I have to speak to the exceptions of this because there are. Because, because what people say is, is, is they don't understand, like, 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 if that's true, then why did my spouse have an affair? Well, because your spouse broke the seal, broke that inward commitment. And so I think biblically divorce is permissible because of an affair, because of adultery. I think it's permissible because of abandonment. If your spouse leaves you, guess what? They already broke that seal. If, if your spouse abuses you, they broke that seal. If your spouse is, is addicted to something, that means they have given that seal to something else instead of you. They've given that faithful commitment to something else instead of you. And so in those, I think the Bible is permissible for divorce. But I'll also tell you, God's plan is reconciliation. And sometimes that's impossible. But if it is possible, that's my hope. But here's my my charge to you. Don't you be the one to break that seal. Don't you be the one to turn a lasting relationship into a temporary marriage. Because that's not what God has planned for you. Let's look and see how, 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 how lasting their relationship. Verse 6 in in the middle part, it says, for love is as strong as death and jealousy as fierce as the grave. And so this love, this biblical love that our mentors are telling us about, they are saying that it it is just as sure as death. Not only does it last until death do you part, if, 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 if I was to say there's one thing that we all have in common in this room, it would be, I'm pretty sure all of you are going to die at some point, right? Unless Jesus returns and takes us back like, like everyone in this room at some point is going to die. Some of you, you look like you're closer than the others, but, but for all, we're all going to die at some point, right? The, this kind of biblical love is just as sure as death. That it is going to happen unless the Lord returns. This faithful commitment of love is just as certain. You see, when you've made this inward commitment and you've, and you've marked it with an outward symbol, you've learned to lead and you've learned to lean, you can be sure in each other's love because love is certain. This kind of biblical love is certain. 
And look at what else it is in the rest of verse 6. It flashes, are, it, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Fire consumes everything that it touches. And this kind of biblical love, this kind of lasting love, goes into every area of your life. When you're committed to a spouse, there's nothing that's left untouched. You don't have separate bank accounts, Right? You don't have parts of your life that you don't talk about. You don't have, have, have conversations that aren't allowed. Every page of the book of your life is open to your spouse. You don't have separate beds. You don't have separate lives. Your lives are connected. And this kind of lasting love doesn't, doesn't breed separation. It brings things together. And this kind of biblical love is a fully connected love. Because fire goes everywhere. Look at what else is true about this love. It says, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Now, in ancient times, floods were chaos, right? If a flood came, it was complete destruction. As a matter of fact, even a lot of times in Scripture, oceans are are seen as as places of of fear and mystery and and, and scariness. Because because when the floods come, truthfully, here's what they're talking about, that, that you have no idea what your life holds. You don't know what this afternoon is going to bring. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But what this kind of biblical love does is it holds on to each other through whatever life brings. You see that this kind of love is secure. B.B. Warfield was a, a commentator. And some of you may be using his commentary for the book of Acts. And uh, the Bible studies you're going through. You may not know this about B.B. Warfield, but he um, uh, got married. And he and his wife went to Germany for their honeymoon. And while they were on their honeymoon, she got struck by lightning and paralyzed her instantly. And he became her primary care provider. And in many ways, her only care provider for the rest of her life. Which means all the commentaries that he wrote, he wrote them sitting in his house. He studied at home. He was a teacher uh, at a university, and he would leave his home, go teach his class, and come back. The longest he would ever be gone from home was three hours. And he was by her side, caring for her his entire life. And this happened on their honeymoon. She knew his love is secure. He knew that this kind of biblical love is a secure love. Look what else is true about it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. This kind of love that our couple is telling us about, you can't cheapen it by buying it. Remember Stacy's computer? It needed to be reset. As I, went over, as I went over these verses, let me ask you a question. Do you see an area of your life where maybe your permanent relationship, this faithful commitment has moved to a temporary love? Maybe you've let your vows slip. Maybe you've begun to live segmented lives. Maybe you've even threatened divorce. Maybe you've thought about divorce. Is there something that needs to be reset in your thinking, in your heart, in the commitment that you've made with your spouse? And can I challenge you with something? 
this study has been floating around for years, and, and it gets quoted correctly, but not fully, because the, the correct quote of, of this study that was done shows that, that there is no difference between the divorce rate of those who are Christians and those who aren't. That when you look at the church and those who identify as Christians, that there's a 50% divorce rate. When you look at those outside the church, there's also a 50% divorce rate. But, and, and, and that's what the study shows. Now, what's not talked about oftentimes about this study is how they got this information and the other information that this study provided. Because the way they got this information is that all you had to do is check a box if you were a Christian, and that puts you in a separate category than everybody else. Now, as you know, people will check a box being Christian for a variety of reasons. So, so you had this big pool of people where the divorce rate is 50%. But here's what they did that is brilliant. They also asked people questions about what their faith practice looked like, how often they read their Bible. How often they attended church? Were they serving in the church? And as they got those markers in place, what they realized is that percentage went down from 50 to less and less and less and less. And there was one thing that if that box was checked, it wasn't a 50% divorce rate. It was a 4% divorce rate, which means the people who did this one thing, who checked this one box, had a 96% chance of never getting divorced. Do you want to know what that one thing is? Praying together daily. The couples that prayed together every day had a 4% chance of divorce. Here's why. It's that whole outward commitment, inward commitment. Because you can make a commitment with your head, but what prayer does is it exposes the heart. You see, prayer deals with the heart. When you pray with your spouse, you're exposing your heart to one another. They, they see your weaknesses. They see your strengths. You see how God made you, how God made your spouse. And so here's the challenge that I have for you this week. With your spouse... Pray together during the day. And here's how I want you to lead into it. I want you to ask your spouse, hey, how can I be praying for you today? And just pray. Or even this, this will blow each other's minds. Just listen to how their day is going and say, can I pray for you? And pray about stuff they haven't even told you they need you to pray for, but you know you need to pray for it because it's what's stressing them out. Pray together. Once a day, every day this week, ask each other, hey, how can I be praying for you? And y'all, I'm going to tell you, if you're really bold, I'm not this bold, but maybe you will be. I read this book about this missionary that met this Guatemalan couple. And, and, and he's this brilliant writer, and he's describing them, and like you can literally picture this couple. They're about four feet tall, you know, like, like they're this quintessential Guatemalan couple. And he said they had been married for, for I don't even know, it was over 50. I want to say it was over 60, but that seems like a really long time, so I don't know. But they were, he said there was so much joy in their relationship. And he asked them, how did y'all get to be married this long and have this much joy in your relationship? And they said, well, every night before we go to bed, we pray together. And he said, yeah. And he goes, ah, but here's what we do. We ask each other, how have I offended you today? And then we listen. And we ask forgiveness. And we pray. 
I'm not that bold. Maybe you are. If you are, let me know how it goes. But that's what prayer does, is it exposes the heart. Well, now these last few verses make a shift, because now someone else comes into the story, and they're going to, this is where we see that our couple are now mentors, because they're going to ask them a question. Look at, look at their question in verse 8. The, the folks say, we have a little sister, and she has no breast. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? In other words, they say, hey, we, we, we've got a little sister. How do we know when she's ready to be married? What do we do to prepare her for marriage? Well, look at the advice in verse 9. If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. And if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. So in other words, if she's a wall, if she's a virgin, right, silver will be her reward. But if she's a door, which means people have come and gone, right, then it's not silver that's her reward, it's cedar. And so you've got silver or you've got splinters is what they're saying. And verse 10 is the response. Look at verse 10 because this is the woman speaking. I was a wall. And my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. If you're new to fellowship today, welcome. These verses are fun. True story. Um, uh, true story. Uh, the, the guy that taught me this book, Song of Solomon, well, the guy that taught me a lot about the Bible, Tommy Nelson, uh, taught this book, Song of Solomon, in different environments. And he said he was teaching a fraternity one time. Uh, it was a multiple fraternities together of, of guys who are believers. And he was teaching them through Song of Solomon. And he hit a verse like this that's fairly explicit. He said literally one of the guys grabbed their Bibles and went, and looked at, yeah, yeah, I'm just reading the Bible. That's all I'm doing. I don't have any control about what it says. I'm just saying that's, that's what she said. But here's, here's what she's saying, right? That, that when she says her breasts were like towers, what she's saying is that she was a mature woman, right? She wasn't a child when she got married. She was a mature woman, and yet she still waited in purity for her husband. That her door was closed. And this is the important part. She's saying that her purity produced peace. And so here we see that love is not only lasting, but we see that love waits. You see, it waits for purity. It waits in purity before marriage. I tell you, I, I, I love it when a sexually active, unmarried couple try and say that the Bible never actually says you can't have sex before marriage. I can make a biblical case for it. But here's the reality. Of course you can have sex before marriage. Don't tweet that. But you can. God's not going to strike you down with lightning or anything. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you're thankful that's true, right? Like, like, like you can have sex before marriage. But here's what our mentors are telling you. Is that if you want peace, on your honeymoon, if you want peace in your marriage, that is what purity produces. Love waits. And get this, this isn't just before marriage, it's also after. Look at the, the rest of the book. It says, Song of, it says Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman and let out the vineyard to keepers. 
Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand, and the keepers of fruit two hundred. O you who dwell in the gardens, with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. Now, Solomon had a thousand wives because of political marriages and, and all of this stuff. In, in 1 Kings chapter 11, it says that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. But yet, most commentators believe he had only one love, and it was her. And this book ends with him inviting, with her inviting him in. And it just stops there. Now, when I was in high school, I uh, had to read, I've shared this story before, but I had to read a book by a classic author. So I chose Charles Dickens, and I was looking at all the books that Charles Dickens wrote, and all of them, you know, are like this thick, and he had a real short one, and it was a mystery. And I thought, oh, this is the ticket. It's short, and it's a mystery. And so I checked it out, and I started reading it. This is my senior year, and there's like four pages left in this book until it ends, and it is nowhere near being resolved. I was thinking, man, he's got to be a great author to tie all the bows on this book in the next four pages. That joker died before he finished writing this book, and some fool published it, <laughs> right? And so literally, the book just stops. A mystery stops. There, there, people have speculated the whodunit part, but nobody knows. He was actually publishing this book uh, chapters at a time in a, in a publication, and then he just died. So it literally stops at the end of one of the chapters. This book does the same thing. It just stops. Right? And, and, and here's why I think this is, and this is why we all wait, because no earthly relationship is ever complete. No earthly relationship is perfect. No earthly relationship has this bow tied on it because love always waits. We wait. We wait for our mate to lead. We wait for our spouse to lean in. We wait for change in us. We wait for change in each other. We wait until one day where we won't wait anymore. And we alluded to it with the Advent reading but there will be a day when all relationships will be made perfect. Revelation 22, uh, 20 says this, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And that is Jesus talking. He will be back. And the response in Revelation is, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, is the response. When he returns, our waiting is over. That's right. And until then, we wait. Until then, we lean on Jesus. And there's no better way to picture this than communion. Communion is this picture of us submitting to Jesus and submitting to the gospel. That it was his blood shed for us and his body broken for us. And when we come up and, and take the cracker and the grape juice, we're saying, Amen, come soon, Lord Jesus. Because we wait. And so today, as you come to this table, 
Let today be the day that you lean on Jesus in ways that just kind of bother you. Y'all, I'm going to be honest with you. Today, not that I haven't been honest with you for all this time, but, but I'm going to tell you what, what, happened, what, what, what happened this morning. Like, like, y'all, this is the stuff that, that Jesus does. He speaks peace in areas where there's confusion and chaos. And I know some of you today, as you've been listening to this message, some of you have been divorced. Some of you are going through divorce. Some of you are contemplating divorce. Some of you have really hard marriages, and it's easy to feel guilty. Y'all, we have a God that provides peace. And that's what this table represents is peace. Leading up to today, let me just tell you what happened this morning between 8 o'clock, well, probably 7.30, and 9 o'clock, our first service. Um, I learned something about the copy machine, that when, you, when it says the waste toner uh, container is full and you need to switch it out, there's actually a proper technique to switch it out that doesn't get toner spread all over the copy room. I learned the hard way that there's a plastic bag in the box. When you take that cartridge out, you put it in the plastic bag and then throw it away. I took the cartridge out, put the new one in, everything was great, went to throw it away, and poof, a cloud of toner on my shoes, on the floor. I cleaned it up, Marty. Um, uh, Marty... Y'all, y'all, if y'all don't know, Marty does do a lot of the, the... He does all the custodial work around here and does an incredible job for us. Um, but I cleaned it up. Um, uh, um, that's what I did. Another person on the worship team spilled coffee all over herself and all over her car before uh, getting here this morning. Uh, the tech guy, Adam, is running the, the, the tech this morning, and uh, it worked and then didn't work, and then worked and didn't work, and then worked and didn't work. And all of these things are these little gnats, right? Have you ever been hiking and walked into like a swarm of gnats, and those suckers just follow you? Like they have nothing better to do than to swarm around your head as you're hiking. Life can feel like that, can it? Like all these little gnats just swarming around. This table gives us peace in the midst of that. Because this table gives us a relationship with God who knows all of our junk and yet loves us. And he affirms us. And and, and scriptures even say that he dances over us while we sleep. Like that's who our God is. And if you don't know that God and you don't have that peace in your life, then let today be the day you say yes to Jesus. And maybe you coming to this table is your first act of that faith where you say yes to Jesus and your life is dedicated to following him from here on out. If you're not a Jesus follower today, that's okay, but don't come to this table because this table is for those who have received that gift and have that kind of relationship with Jesus. And for those of us who do have that relationship with Jesus, let's let God be the peace in all those gnats. Those gnats may be in your marriage. Let's let God be the peace in that. Until he returns, let's pray. Jesus, as we go into this time of communion, I pray that that you will give us peace where there is annoyance. Where there's anger, Father, give us joy. Where there's there's surprise, Father, give us trust. Father, may we lean on you as we learn what it means to be married, as we learn what it means to be a friend, as we learn what it means to be a human. 
Christ's name we pray. Amen.